Good morning. Um, I am excited to be here because today we're beginning our brand new series called Christian. And today the title of my message is Brand Recognition. So if you are taking notes, you can write that down. Uh, but before I dive into the, the scriptures today, I wanted to share a, a little story with you that is kind of going to lead us into the rest of my message today. Um, when I was 14 years old, my family moved from San Antonio, Texas to Bellevue, Nebraska. And uh, we were an Air Force family and my stepdad got uh, orders. Uh, he, he, was, he was transferred or whatever, I don't remember the language anymore. Uh, they, he got orders to move from Texas to Nebraska. So we picked up our things when I was 14 years old in the summer of 1999, and we moved to Nebraska. And um, I, was a, I played football, and so immediately I started getting into my new schools, like football activities and meeting the people and all that. And as I would meet new people in my school or, you know, on, on the football team, they noticed that I was a new, new kid, right? Oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Texas. And I would get this weird look, like, Texas, Texas, te-, you know, whatever. And I would do this, and, and this is how it went for me for a while. Well, after a few months, and these guys got to know me, and they got to know that I was actually, um, I was actually pretty good at football. Um, they were like, you know, we, we, we became friends and all that. And, and one of the guys comes up to me. He goes, hey, you know, Ryan? He goes, you told me you were from Texas, and when you said that, I thought you were going to be this really loud, really arrogant guy who thought that you were better than everybody. You're not like that at all. He goes, you're more like a Nebraskan than a Texan. I'm like, okay. And, and I, I thought about it. I'm like, oh, he's right. I know what a stereotype of a Texan is, and it is. It's loud. It's brash. It's, you know, in your face, better than everybody, arrogant, you know, you know, don't mess with Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, all that, you know, right? That's the, the stereotype. Everybody knows what a Texan is. And I was thinking about that today, or this, this week as I was preparing, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great way to kind of help us wrap our heads around this topic. And so uh, I want to start with a uh, word association game. So if I were to ask you, what is an American? You would know what an American is, right? Everybody knows what an American is. If I were to ask you, what is a, what's a Jamaican? Everybody knows what a Jamaican is, right? If I were to ask you, what's a South African? Everybody would know what a South African is. If I were to ask you, what is a comedian? Everybody would be able to tell me what a comedian is. What about this word? Nope. Okay, maybe it's not up there. Christian. What about Christian? What's a Christian? You know what's really interesting? If I were to group you up into groups of 10, and I would say, hey, I want you to talk about what a Christian is and then come back and report to me what you've, what you've come up with, you'd probably get five different answers. You'd maybe get eight different answers. There's even some groups you'd probably get 10 different answers on what a Christian is. What is a Christian? If somebody were to walk up to you and ask, are you a Christian, some of you might say, yes. Some of you might say, what do you mean by that? Some of you might say, yes, but, and you would qualify it. Some of you might say, no, but, and you would qualify that. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like that group. You would, and you would have like a group of people in your head that you're like referring to and, and kind of comparing to, right? What is a Christian? 
Some people uh, in here, uh, maybe you're like me and you were raised that you became a Christian one day. You said a prayer uh, of repentance and now you're a Christian, right? You weren't before, but now that you said this special prayer, you're now a Christian. Or maybe you were raised to believe that once you were baptized, then you're a Christian. Or, or maybe like you went through some kind of class or confirmation and that's what made you a Christian. Maybe that's your church background. What is a Christian? Some of us were raised in uh, church traditions where we were taught that our brand is the true brand. I was raised Catholic, and I was raised to believe that Catholicism is the only brand of faith in God, and every other brand is just pretenders, right? Every, every other faith is just pretending. That's what I was raised to believe. And, and that makes me think of a funny anecdote I want to share with you really quickly. So it says, a man arrived at the gates of heaven, an angel asked, what denomination are you? The man said, Methodist. The angel looked down at his list and said, go to room 24, but be very quiet as you pass room 8. Another man arrived at the gates of heaven. Denomination? Baptist. Go to room 18, but be very quiet as you pass room 8. A third man arrived at the gates of heaven. Denomination? Greek Orthodox. Go to room 11, but be very quiet as you pass room 8. The man said, I can understand there being different rooms for different denominations, but why must I be quiet when I pass room 8? The angel told him, well, the Catholics are in room 8, and they think they're the only ones here. So <laughs> I, think, I think we have, we have this idea that our, the church tradition that we were brought up in is the correct one, and everything else is just a pretender. Everything else, they don't get it. They don't understand. What is a Christian? Some people would say, like, I used to be a Christian, or I was a Christian at one point, and, and, and there are other people that would hear that and be like, no, 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 no. There's no was a Christian. There's no I used to be a Christian, because once a Christian always a Christian, right? There are people that believe that too. What is a Christian? For some people, being a Christian is, is all about what you believe. For others, being a Christian is all about the way you behave. What do I believe? How do I behave? What do I believe? How do I behave? Which one is it? What is a Christian? How, how are we to define that? People who are outside the church, people who are not Christians, may define Christianity this way. Christians, judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. That's probably how a lot of non-Christians would define Christians. Are you guys okay with that definition? Because I'm not. I'm not okay with that. But that's how many people would define Christianity. Now, now there's some good news and some bad news. And uh, the, the good news is that none of what I just talked about is in the Bible as like, this is what it means to be a Christian. None of that has anything to do with the, the, what the Bible describes as Christian. The bad news is that many of the things that, <laughs> many of the things that, um, that we may believe about being a Christian are potentially wrong. That's the bad news. Many of the things that we may believe about being a Christian are potentially wrong. The, the, the traditions that we were taught growing up, they, they might not be super accurate. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? 
what is this guy talking about? And you're, uh, you're not going to believe what I'm saying, and you're going to go home, and you're going to pull out your Bible, and you're going to fact check me. You're going to fact check me because you're, you're going to hear what I have to say today, and you're going to think there's no way this dude is telling us the truth. There's no way what this guy is saying is true. And I'm banking on you going and fact-checking me and reading your Bible because if you read your Bible outside of church, I get a bonus at the end of the year. So I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) I'm totally joking. But I am excited about this series because we're going to discover what we actually are. We're going to discover what we actually are. The term Christian only appears in the Bible three times. The word Christian, the term Christian, only, apply, only appears in the Bible three times, and it's not defined. There is no definition of what a Christian is in the Bible. In fact, today we're going to discover uh, that this word Christian, this word Christian was a derogatory term used by outsiders to describe the people of the Jesus movement. Christian was a derogatory term used to describe people that follow Jesus. The the Jesus community, the people that follow Jesus, they never used the word Christian to describe themselves. In scripture, they never used it to describe themselves. It was people outside the community that used the word to describe people inside the community. It was like calling somebody a a deadhead or a a geek or a redneck, right? It It was derogatory. It was actually like... It was actually way worse than those. Um, using the word Christian in that time, in that part of the world, was actually like using a racial slur. It was that derogatory. It was that insulting to call somebody a Christian. Let me, uh, let me show you an example. Um, in the book of Acts, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after Peter preached and 3,000 were saved, after the foundation of the first church, um, there, started to be, there started to be persecution on the, the Christ followers, persecution on the Jesus movement, and so they started to scatter. Well, some of these Jesus followers went to Antioch. Antioch is a city that is in present-day Turkey, and some of these believers went to Antioch, and they started a church. Well, the apostle Paul and Barnabas caught wind of this church. They, they got word that this church was started and it's growing and it's thriving. So like, we got to go visit this church and we got to go check it out. And we got to, um, we got to like help, help make sure that this church thrives. And that's where we pick up in scripture. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says this, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The Jesus followers didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. It was a label that was put on them. Oh, you're just a Christian. Ugh. You're just a Christian. Like, th- that's, that's how it was used. It was the derogatory term used to describe an entire group of people. Now, we get uh, further evidence of this from a, a really fascinating piece of history that is not found in the Bible. Yeah. Tacitus um, is the name of a Roman politician and historian, and he is actually uh, primarily responsible for writing uh, about I think it's five Roman emperors. He, he was basically a scribe and, and basically like wrote down everything for about five Roman emperors. And um, uh, one of the emperors uh, Tacitus wrote, wrote about was Nero. 
And in fact, most of what we know about Nero as the emperor of Rome can be attributed to Tacitus's writings. So um, Tacitus wrote something really, um, really interesting. According, according to Tacitus's records, in 64 AD, now don't, don't, like, don't let me lose you, okay? Like I'm not going to hang in the history stuff too long. In 64 AD, Nero wanted to hit the reset button. The Emperor Nero wanted to hit the reset button. He wanted to rebuild the city of Rome in his own image. So what did he do? According to Tacitus's records, Nero burned down the city of Rome, burned it to the ground. And that did not go over well because in burning down the entire city, he burned down homes, he burned down businesses, he burned down everything so that he could rebuild it. And then there was pushback. People were upset because Tacitus, or because Nero did this. And what does a good leader do? Blame shift, right? I, I hope you pick up on the, the uh, sarcasm because that's not what a good leader does. But what did Nero do? He, he blame shifted. He, instead of taking the responsibility for what he did, he took the blame and he shifted it to another group of people. Who do you think he shifted the blame to? Those Christians. Those You're mad that your house is burned down? You're mad that your business is burned down? Oh, me too. The Christians did it. We should kill them. And, and they did. They did. Nero used that as an excuse to torture and kill Christians. This is what Tacitus actually wrote. Consequently, to get rid of the report, the report that um, Nero burned the city down. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Jesus' followers didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians by who? The populace, the rest of the, the population. And that, is found, that can be found in, in Tacitus' report, The Annals, book 15, chapter 44, if you want to fact check me. Go ahead. Um, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves something else. Followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. He goes on to say this, Christus, from, the, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Christus, from whom the name, name had its origin. So just a, a little bit of a quick con, context. Um, there's a lot of talk about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Well, people outside of the Jesus community didn't understand that Christ wasn't a name, it was a title. So when Romans heard Jesus Christ, they thought it was a name, like his mother was Mary Christ, his brother was James Christ, and he's Jesus Christ, right? That's what they thought. So they call him Christus in here, um, but, but it's, it's, it's saying, like, this is where the name comes from. This is where Christian comes from. It's from Christ, who had its, who, whom the name had its origin. And a little side note, um, a, a piece of non-biblical historical literature confirms the execution of Jesus. And there are many people who, there are many people who would believe, or who believe that, that Jesus was not a real person, that he's like some kind of allegory or some kind of like metaphor for something. This is proof Extra biblical proof that Jesus existed and he was executed at the hands of the Romans. So I thought that was a little cool thing. So what's my point? The word Christian, the term Christian was used by people outside of the faith 
to talk about people inside of the faith. It was used by people who didn't follow Jesus to talk about people who did follow Jesus. The people who called themselves Jesus called themselves something else. They called themselves something far more terrifying. The people who follow Jesus called them something uh, way more disturbing than Christian. The people who follow Jesus, they, 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 did, they defined it way differently. It was something far more defined and, and far more convicting than Christian. One of the reasons uh, we can have 10 people give 10 definitions of Christians, one of the reasons uh, we can have so many different denominations of faith, one of the reasons uh, we have so many Christians on opposite opposite sides of the aisles of so many issues is because Christian and Christianity are not defined in the Bible. Christian and Christianity are not defined in the Bible. They're not, and that's why you can be a Christian and believe just about anything. You can be a Christian and behave just about any way you want because it's not defined. Nobody's gonna be able to go to the Bible and see, say, aha, see, it says in here a Christian shouldn't do this. It says in here a Christian shouldn't do that. It doesn't say that. A Christian is not defined. It doesn't teach us anything about what a Christian is. When you look into the New Testament, the the gospel in the book of Acts, there's a specific term that's used very, very consistently to describe people within the Jesus movement, to describe people that follow Christ. It's a terrifying word. What's that word? Disciple. 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 And the reason this is terrifying, and it should scare you, is because disciple is very clearly defined. Being a disciple is very clearly defined. Being a Christian is not. Being a disciple, that's defined. You you can understand what that word is very quickly by, by going to the scripture and reading it. You can hide behind Christianity all day long. You can go to war in the name of being a Christian. You can define it, you can undefine it, you can redefine it. You can do whatever you want in the name of Christian, but there is no running from the word disciple. There's no hiding from that word. You cannot undefine that word. You cannot redefine that word. A disciple is very clear, and and we cannot run from it. And I'm telling you, you open your Bible, and you lock onto this word, and it's going to change your understanding of everything. Let's look again at Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 26. It says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Who wrote the scriptures? Disciples of Jesus. How did he refer to himself? Disciple. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They didn't call themselves Christians. If you were to go up to a follower of Jesus in the, in the, the biblical times and ask them, what are you? They wouldn't say Christian. They would say, I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And from this point forward, when you read the word, you're going to see this word over and over and over and over and over. Because the, Christian talks, or the, the Bible talks a lot about disciples. So what is a disciple? What is a disciple? When the original language of the Bible uses this word disciple, this is what it means. It means learner. It means pupil. It means apprentice, adherent, follower. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a student. 
Someone who is learning the ways of, the other, of another. A disciple is somebody who does this. So I'm trying to make a decision, but I don't know how I'd handle it. Uh, how would you handle it? That's how you'd handle it? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, oh, okay, I, I, don't, I don't know how to like, navigate this relationship that I'm in. Like, how would you handle it? Okay, that, that's what I'm going to do then. That's, that's what a disciple does. I don't know what to do. How would you do it? Okay, I'm going to do that. What are you doing? That's what I'm going to do. Where are you going? That's where I'm going to go. That's what a disciple does. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is someone who says, give me direction on how to live my life. And I want you to know, before you, before you ever speak a word, my answer to you is yes. Whatever advice you give me, whatever guidance you give me, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to question you. My answer is yes, that's what a disciple does. See, that's different than Christian, isn't it? That's different than Christian. The word disciple can be uncomfortable. The word disciple can be uncomfortable, and I'm willing to bet that there are some in here who are praying that I'm not going to say at the end of this, like, okay, from now on, we're not going to call ourselves Christians, and we're going to start calling ourselves disciples. I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> some, some people be like, ah, Pastor Ryan, I can't do this. so weird. And that's my, that's my point. Disciple is uncomfortable because it's so clearly defined. We can't dodge that word. We can't misdefine that word. We can't redefine that word. It's not ambiguous. Here are some other examples. Uh, Acts 6, uh, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Later on in, in Acts, we hear about uh, Saul who became Paul, and, and he starts doing these amazing things. And um, in, uh, leading up to, to chapter 9, um, so, so let me give you a little backstory on Paul. Paul, um, or he was Saul, and he was a Jew, and he was zealous, and he killed Christians, and he imprisoned Christians because he thought Christianity was a, a threat to Judaism. And he was zealous for his faith, and he was zealous for God, so he started killing Jews, or killing Christians, and kill, uh, imprisoning them. Well, then he had an encounter with Jesus and everything for him changed and he became a disciple. And so after this encounter with Jesus and he becomes a disciple of Jesus, Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul and he decides, you know what, I'm going to get involved in the church. And he goes to Jerusalem to get involved in the church and this is where we pick up. Acts chapter 9 verse 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves disciples. Acts 9.36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Even women can be disciples. This is amazing news. This is good news. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So the point so far is that you can hide, I can hide behind the nebulous term Christian. Being a Christian, I can do anything I want. I can say anything I want. I can believe anything I want because it's not defined in the Bible what a Christian is. I cannot hide from the word disciple. I cannot hide from the word disciple. People knew exactly what that meant. People knew exactly what that looked like. And that brings us to a terrifying and disturbing question. Are we 
disciples. Am I a disciple? If I ask myself that honestly, and I examine my life honestly, can I, can I, the answer to that question honestly be yes? Am I a disciple? That is hard. That's terrifying. That's disturbing. It's, it, it messes with you. Am I a disciple or am I just a Christian? Is my answer to Jesus yes before he ever asks me anything? Or am I just a Christian? It messes with you. It, at least it messes with me. What I want to do right now is, is uh, take you to a moment in time with Jesus where he speaks directly to people who want to be disciples. And he gives them the bottom line. He basically is like, here are your specific marching orders. Let me set it up for you before I read um, the, the, the portion of scripture. So it's, it's the Last Supper. It's the, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be um, tortured. He's about to be executed, right? But it's before all that. He's sitting down to a meal with, his, with, with the 12 disciples, the disciples that are closest to him. And, um, and he's basically offloading all this information. It's this huge, long, long meal, like celebration thing, and he's offloading all this information. He's like kind of cramming as the last-minute wisdom that he can but then he basically says, like, if you don't remember anything else, remember this one thing. Remember this. I, if you didn't hear anything else, please, please, please hear this. And it's John 13, starting in verse 33. It says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This isn't groundbreaking. This isn't a verse that you've never heard before. You've probably heard it preached a hundred times. You've probably read it 500 times. Like, this is nothing new. But but if the church, the, the big C church, the body of Christ, if the church would have gotten this right, our world would look completely different. If the church would have gotten this right, everything would be different in our world right now. If the church would have gotten this right, there would have been no crusades. If you don't know what the crusades were, it was a, a time in uh, in about a thousand years ago in, in uh, Europe, in the Europe area where Christians in the name of Jesus slaughtered and killed people to advance, to advance the kingdom of God and, and spread the word. They slaughtered and killed people. If, if they would have gotten this right, that wouldn't have happened. If the church would have gotten this right, there would have probably been no first or second world war. If the church would have gotten this right, there probably would have been no civil war. If the church was more concerned with making disciples rather than creating Christians, we, there would probably be no need for the civil rights movement. Think about the, the impact that this one thing could have had on our world if we would have gotten it right. 
That's how important this is. Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to define yourselves. This is how I want the world to see you. I want them to see you as my disciple. And how, do, what is, how is a disciple fine? A disciple loves each other. They love each other. They love each other the way I loved them. Well, how did Jesus love? How did Jesus love? I imagine, I imagine Jesus having this conversation with his disciples, and they're asking the, that question, what do you mean? What do you, I got to love, love these people the way you love. Yeah, Matthew, you remember when I met you? Yeah, I was a, I was a tax collector. Yeah, you were a tax collector, and everybody hated you. Everybody probably wanted to kill you, and what did I do? I pulled you in, and I said, I want to have dinner with you. I loved you when nobody else would, Matthew. That's how I want you to love people. Oh, okay. Peter, Peter, you remember when we met Matthew? Huh. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> you remember how uncomfortable it was to, to go to his house and have dinner with all those people that your mom told you never to have dinner with? You remember how uncomfortable that was? You remember how we navigated that? Remember how we loved Matthew through that? Yeah, that's how I want you to love these guys, Peter. I want you to love them like that for the rest of your life. Oh, Nathaniel, remember the first day I met you? Yeah. What did you say to me, Nathaniel? Well, my, my brother came to tell me that you're a Messiah. What did you say to him? You said, what good thing can come from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You dissed my entire family, Nathaniel. And what did I do? I brought you in. I said, be one of my guys. Come follow me. I loved you when nobody else, when nobody else would have done that. That's, that's how I want you to love these guys, Nathaniel. You remember how I accepted you? You remember how I forgave you? When, when you all wanted to abandon me, I still loved you. That's how I want you to love each other. That's how I want you to characterize yourselves. See, we can all be Christians, but love each other the way Jesus loved? Now, see, now I'm in a subset. Now I'm in a, a smaller category that's way more defined. I don't know how to get around that. I don't know how to redefine that. I don't know how to undefine that. So I know like we're all Christians, but are we disciples? So Jesus is, um, you know, we just read, Jesus is giving this sacred teaching in this profound moment, and, and he's about to go through intense suffering. He's trying to help him understand like, uh, this is the one thing I want you to come away with. He's, he's given this amazing teaching, right? I want you to love each other the way I have loved you, and that's how the world's going to know that you follow me. And Peter raises his hand, and Jesus is like, yeah, Peter, what's on your mind? And this is Peter's response. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? He completely misses the point of Jesus's, of Jesus's um, teaching. God, where are you going? Because, like, I want to go with you. You're not taking Andrew and not me, right? Like, because if Andrew goes, I get to go, right? Like, Peter completely misses the point of what Jesus is saying. Lord, where are you going? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter says, I'd lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus essentially looks at him and says, lay down your life for me. 
Peter, in a few hours, a middle school girl's going to uh, intimidate you into denying that you even know me. Lay down your life for me? No. Peter, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to love these guys the way I've loved you. I want you to love these guys the way I love you. Kim, I want you to love these people the way I've loved you. That's what he's saying. Brian, I want you to love these people the way, he's loved, the way I've loved you. That's what he's saying to you. That's what he's saying. Karen, I want you to love these people the way I've loved you. That's what he's saying to us. Vicki, I want you to love these people. Teresa, AJ, Jim, Lori, Johnny, Steve, I want you to love these people the way I've loved you. That's what he's saying to us today. I don't want you to die for me. I want you to love these people the way I've loved you. I want you to love each other in such a way that people outside, like, peer in, and they can see the way we treat each other, and they say to themselves, wow, look how they love. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. I want you to create a community that's defined and characterized by that kind of amazingly generous, unconditional, compassionate, ridiculous, who would do that kind of love. That's what I want you to do. Worship team, you can come to the platform. Could you imagine... Imagine if we got this one thing right. Instead of, trying to, instead of trying to live up to being a Christian, we got this one thing right. How would things be different? If we got this one thing right in our homes, if we got this one thing right in our church, if we got this one thing right in our workplace, if we got this one thing right in our schools, how would things change in this community? How would things change in Kent County? How would things change in Sussex? How would things change in Delaware if we got this one thing right? That, that maybe sounds like a little like silly and outlandish, but like I believe it, it's 100% true. A group of 11 people changed the world. A group of 11 people, the 11 apostles after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he commissioned them, hey, go make disciples. 11 people changed the world. I think, I think 100 people could do probably a little bit more than that. Man, what if we decided, forget Christian. Forget Christian. I'm going to start being a disciple, and I am going to start with the command of Jesus to love these people. What if? How cool would it be to be a part of a big uh, like rebranding campaign? How cool would that be? Instead of the, the uh, judgmental, homophobic moralists that think they're the only ones going to heaven and everyone else is going to heaven, instead of that, what if we could rebrand it to be, man, they love really well. What if? Man. What would it look like for you to love each other the way Jesus has loved us? What would it look like? And I'm not, I'm not saying 
really quickly. I'm not saying that loving like this is going to make people less annoying <laughs> or less hostile. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Like, this is not like a way to change people, right? Like, oh, I'm going to love you so that you change. That's not the love of Jesus. This is not a means to an end. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's to love people the way Jesus loved. I mean, think think about it. Jesus is love, right? And he was crucified, so get ready. This is not a means to an end. This This is just how we should be. This is just what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We don't love so that we can get something from those, those we show the love to. We, we love because Jesus commanded it. Let me, let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you, God, that you called us to be students. You called us to be learners, apprentices, followers. You called us to be disciples. I pray, God, today that... Um, Your word would root itself deep inside me, God. It would challenge me. God, and I pray that that it would challenge us as a church, that that we would hear your word and we would take it to heart and we we would ask the Holy Spirit to start leading us in love every single moment of every single day. We love you, God. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So normally at this point, I, I take a moment and I, I ask if there's anybody who wants to pray for salvation. Uh, intentionally, I'm not going to do that during the series because I don't want to make, I don't want to try to manipulate anyone into making a decision or anything like that. What I'm going to do, um, what, I'm, I'm not going to do that during the whole series just because I want, I want to let the word of God do, do his thing. I want to let the Spirit of God do his thing. And so um, what we're going to do right now, we're just going to move into a time of worship and response. Um, and I want to encourage you, don't rush through this moment. Don't, um, don't pack up and leave just yet. We're not done quite yet, but allow the Spirit of God to speak to you this morning. Allow the Spirit of God to, um, to move in your heart. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and you can um, feel free to uh, sing if you'd like. You can feel free to meditate. You can feel free to pray. You can feel free to, you know, walk around if you need. But I, I don't blow through this moment. Don't let this moment pass you by without connecting with God. So um, if you'd like, you can stand with me, and the worship team is going to lead us this morning. God, help me. Help me to know what it means to follow you. Help me to know what it means to be a student of your word, uh, be your student, be your pupil. Help me to know what it means to be a disciple. God, I pray that if there's any, um, if there's any old uh, teachings or old traditions that are jamming us up right now that are creating a barrier between us and you. I pray, God, that you would remove those in the name of Jesus. We just want you. We just want you.
We love you, God. We thank you for this day. I pray, God, that you would um, be with us this week. Guide us by your Holy Spirit to love the way you've loved us. Really quickly before we go, I have a couple next steps, and these next steps are just things that we can do to tangibly take the message and apply it to our lives this week. And the first one is this. This week, I will intentionally show love, show the love of Christ to someone in my church. I'm not even asking you to do it to somebody outside the church or a complete stranger or anything like that. Just somebody in this room. Just show them some love this week. A nice note or maybe bring them coffee or just something. Let's let's show each other the love of Christ this week. And the, the next one, I only have two this week. The next one is this. This week, I'll memorize John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not new, but it's so powerful and it's so important. So, um, let me pray one last time and then we can be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you for this message. We just ask God that you would do a mighty work in us this week, that you would, your word would, would root itself deep inside of us. It would, it would start to bloom and, and we could see the fruit of your word in our lives. Even this week, God, we love you. We thank you. And finally, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.